This podcast is and always will be ad-free, but we rely on listeners like you to show us the love and subscribe. It helps others find the show, so please write us a review on the App Store by going to make.sc slash podcast review. You can also go to make.sc slash podcast to see the show notes, and we invite you to leave comments, join in on the discussion, and tell us what you think of the episode. Welcome to the Positivity Podcast, where we explore the skills and strategies of personal development with cutting-edge researchers, authors, entrepreneurs, and experts. Willpower. Self-control. How to get more of it. John Tierney, New York Times bestselling author, partnered with Roy Baumeister, leading researcher on the topic of willpower to dissect the seven tactics you can use to strengthen your willpower. The book hit the top of the charts and hit them on a circuit to help businesses, politicians, and organizations around the world develop what they call the most important virtue. In this episode, we cover the seven tactics as well as common misconceptions of willpower and how tech can hold us accountable. Without further ado, John Tierney on this episode of the Positivity Podcast. All right. Well, John, thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Dan. It's nice to be here. I have to say it took a tremendous amount of willpower to get here. (laughs) We're at your house in New York and I had to wade through a ton of subways and a ton of... uh, Definitely a lot of uh, energy exertion <laughs> to get here. So you're a bit depleted. Then, yeah. So. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> I'm looking forward to hearing that term. So my first question for you is what piqued your interest in willpower and what kind of led you on your journey? Well, I had, I kind of backed into this by, by uh, I was um, having dinner one night with um, my friend Christopher Buckley, the comic novelist who's done Thank You for Smoking and... Little Green Man and uh, the White House Mess, lots of great novels, um, and uh, and we were talking about the thing that writers always talk about when they get together, which is money, <laughs> and we decided we needed more of it, and we were really jealous of the mega sales of self help books, and so we decided to write one of our own, um, and it was a comic, an allegedly comic novel titled God Is My Broker. And the subtitle was, A Monk Tycoon Reveals the Seven and a Half Laws of Spiritual and Financial Growth. And it was the story of this uh, alcoholic guy who failed on Wall Street, and then he sobered up by going to this monastery in upstate New York that made wine so bad that even he couldn't drink it. Um, and then he, And then he saves the monastery by getting stock tips that he thinks are coming from God, and he learns the seven and a half law. So it was a parody of self-help books. And I, and to write that novel, you know, I went back and I read a lot of self-help books and I noticed this kind of strange backward evolution that seemed. If you went back to the original self-help books, which, you know, Ben Franklin wrote one of the first ones and in the 19th century there was this book called, one of the best-selling books of the entire 19th century in, in both England and the United States was this book called Self-Help by, by Samuel Smiley. And 
Um, and these books really stressed hard work and perseverance and willpower and um, that this was the key to success. And then in the 20th century, you know, the books kind of got into this feel-good, much, you know, quick fixes and this feel-good philosophy with this rhyming slogan, believe it, achieve it. And they, they preach self-esteem and kind of quick ways to do it. And I just wondered, you know, what it, you know, how this happened. The old books seem smarter than the new ones. And I didn't quite know what to make of it until I started writing a science column at the New York Times. And I met the social psychologist Roy Baumeister. And Roy had originally um, started out in the field of psychology. He was very, he was one of the pioneers of, of research into self esteem. The idea there was that, that if you, um, you know, they noticed that confident people tended to do better. And so there, there was this whole effort to instill confidence in. And students, um, but then Roy realized that they'd gotten it backwards. That that self-esteem does not cause success; rather, success causes self-esteem. And and then Roy, you know, kept you know kept looking, and he became intrigued with um, self-control. He noticed that um, he looked at a couple of dozen different personality traits and he found that only one of them predicted how well a student would do in, in college and that and that trait was not self-esteem it was self-control and then <laughs> and, and he started noticing that this is correlated with success in so many ways and then Roy began doing some experiments to try and, and figure out exactly you know what is self-control you know what is you know this idea of willpower People in the psychologists in the 20th century kind of had dismissed this as a kind of a weird metaphor. You know, the, the word was you know introduced by Victorians, who kind of had this idea that it seemed a rather naive idea that the body had something like a steam engine inside it that was you know giving you energy to resist temptations. You know, if you saw a woman's ankle, you could rush and it would tell you to go take a cold shower and not succumb to any temptations. Um, so Roy had actually you know, done these experiments to find out where self-control came from and where this Victorian idea was. And that's how I got interested in it. And, 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 and the more I learned about Roy's research, um, then I thought, gee, you know, we should really write a book about this. So, and that's how he wrote this book, Willpower. So I hear you saying self-control, temptation, this is leading to success. What is willpower? And what are the different dimensions that one should consider? Right. Well, uh, uh, the first big, uh, uh, the breakthrough experiment for Roy came when, I mean, people didn't really, you know, willpower, there are people who, who doubted that free, you know, who doubt free will even exists. People who thought, you know, that people would talk about the so-called will. There wasn't, you know, psychologists got very into, into, into treating the mind as, as a computer and, um, and they didn't, um, they had stopped thinking about energy involved in it. You know, they weren't thinking about the power cord of the computer. They were thinking about all the processes going on inside. But anyway, Roy did this experiment where he, he told some students um, in, in the experiment to skip lunch and to, and to come to his laboratory um, in the afternoon. And so when they got there, you know, they're already hungry. And... Um, and they walk in and they're suddenly hit with the, the aroma of freshly baked chocolate chip cookies. They've just been made there in the lab. 
and they see a bowl of these chocolate chip cookies, these warm cookies sitting on the table. And right next to it is a bowl of raw radishes. And some of the students, the control group, are told they can uh, have some cookies and, uh, and then, but some other students are told that they're, they've been assigned to the radish condition. And no cookies for them, but they can have as many radishes as they want. And, they, and they'd all been told, by the way, that this was, it was an experiment in how they tasted food. You know, psychologists always lie about what the experiment's really, you can't let the guinea pigs know what's going on. So the poor students in the radish condition, and, and to maximize temptation, they left each of them alone in the room, although the scientists were watching through a hidden window. And they would see that, you know, these poor guys in the, uh, uh, men and women in, in the radish condition are struggling. They're looking at the cookies. Some of them would go over and pick one up and sort of sniff it and look at it longingly. But they did all manage to resist eating it, even though they're hungry and there's a, a, a cookie there. Then, then after this, like you know, um, waiting there um, for like 15 minutes, I think, or 20 minutes, um, they, um, all the students are given puzzles to do, and the students think that the puzzles is it's a test of how clever they are, but in fact, the puzzles are unsolvable, and the real test is how long do you keep working at it? You know, how long do you persevere? And the students who've been free to eat the cookies, they typically work for 20 minutes, and then, you know, then they finally give up. But the students in the radish condition, they gave up after just eight minutes, you know, which is less than half the time. And that's a huge difference by experimental standards. So the, you know, they had had the energy to resist eating the cookies, but that depleted them, and it left them with less energy to tackle the puzzles. So what that showed was that willpower, you know, wasn't just a Victorian me uh, metaphor. There really was this source of energy in the body that enabled you to exert self-control, and that as you exerted it, you depleted this energy. And uh, uh, the term that Roy coined for this was ego depletion. He was borrowing the term from Freud. The idea of the ego is what controls uh, your impulses, and so the the ego depletion happens. Um, and so they found, and this was confirmed in dozens of experiments, they tested all kinds of um, temptations and tasks. I mean, anything that involves self-control, basically. You know, you know, some of the tasks would be, it wouldn't be avoiding a cookie, but it would be, you'd have to, have to try not to, you know, to, to remain stoic during, during a really funny movie or during a really sad movie. And you'd have to try and hide your emotions. And, you know, anything that requires you to control to make a conscious you know, decision to control yourself. Uh, this would all deplete willpower, and after people did that, they would have less um, energy to, to, you know, to do tasks. Um, you know, this was even demonstrated with dogs. They, they did this where they would uh, tell a dog to obey a stay command for like 10 minutes. They would just say stay, and the dog would have to sit there and not do anything. And then they would compare them with a control group um, of dogs who had just been left in a cage for 10 minutes, so they didn't have to exert any self-control. They just, you know, lay there. And the dogs who had had to obey the stay command, control themselves, they would give up sooner. They had a doggy version of puzzles. There was like this thing where they would try to, uh, to get a treat inside this, and they'd have to keep trying to open it up, and it was a test to see how long they'd keep trying. And the dogs that had to exert self-control gave up sooner. So they found that this um, existed for all kinds of self-control tasks, and 
they gradually then got you know got interested in questions like you know what's the source of this energy and what other kinds of activities deplete this you know the, uh, this willpower so we all have a, a tank of energy mm-hmm. <laughs> and to someone you know resisting the cookie might take more energy than someone else mm-hmm. is this one pool of energy in that if i you know resist you know taking a cookie and then i also resist looking at adult entertainment uh-huh. is this the same sort of thing right and con- and similarly if i yeah i guess we'll start there no it, it is one source of energy you know that you draw on and and basically whether you're trying to resist pornography or cookies or um, whether you're just trying to, you know, make yourself study, you know, whether you're trying, you know, not to go to sleep when you feel like sleeping, you know, not to goof off, when you're controlling your impulse to tell, you know, your boss what you really think of his idea or to, you know, basically not to scream at your roommate. Um, these things all require self-control. They all deplete that same source of energy. And one of the really interesting things that came out also was after the cookie experiment and some of these other experiments, there was um, woman uh, Jean Twenge who came in, who was a a, um, a, um, a postdoctoral fellow working in Roy Baumeister's lab, and she came in one day after she had been planning um, her bridal registry the night before with her fiance, and she just you know going through what towel do you do you choose, what kind of cutlery, what kind of plate design. And she said she just felt exhausted after this process. And so they started wondering about decision making. And so they did some experiments in the lab and they went into a shopping mall, a real world thing, and they interviewed shoppers. And they had shoppers try to do puzzles. Um, these, uh, and they found that the more decisions a shopper made, the less energy they had to, to, you know, to work on puzzles and do other kinds of of tasks involving self-control you know researchers use various things there you know to test your self-control there besides the puzzle thing they'll they'll see how long you can hold your hand in cold water that takes you know an effort of will sometimes they'll have you squeeze a um something that tests your strength and obviously people have different strength but the way you do it is you test their strength at the beginning and then you have them do something that requires willpower and then you test them again and they'll be you know and, and and whatever level they started at, they'll have less after doing that. And, and so you measure the difference. Is there a way to grow your tank of right. power? And well, do certain people have a bigger capacity to do it than others? But there's probably some genetic aspect to it. Some people are better at it. Um, you know, most things have both a genetic and, you know, and an environmental and your upbringing. I mean, uh, one metaphor that, uh, that Roy likes to use for it is that willpower is like a muscle and that as you use it during the day, it gets fatigued. But also like a muscle, you can gradually strengthen, the, you can build up the stamina by doing exercise. So over a long period of time, you can strengthen that muscle. And, uh, and you know, they found this in one experiment uh, they were surprised to see how this worked because they were doing one experiment to see how you might Im- improve your uh, your willpower, increase it, and they they had various things like trying to control your emotions, trying to do other things if that would strengthen it, and they just uh, you know assigned one group of students to just work on their posture. You know they said for the next couple of weeks, you know whenever you find yourself slouching, uh, just sit up straight, stand up straight. And they weren't expecting much from it, but they found when the students came back to the lab, when they gave them 
other tests of self-control that had nothing to do with posture, they improved at that too. And that they would get, um, and when they would do tasks, that, that they would get less depleted as, you know, that they had more stamina basically. They could go longer um, without getting depleted. And there were experiments where they found that if, uh, you know, they, if they asked a student to work on one aspect of self-improvement, like controlling your, like keeping track of your spending, control your spending, that if they did that for a while, you know, the, their spending would, you know, they, they would get better at, at controlling their spending and keeping a budget, but they also started getting better at other things, like being able to study, you know, better, more efficiently um, at, you know, uh, at controlling what they ate. That, so there did seem to be this effect that, that willpower, you do strengthen that muscle. Now, I mean, it, it's a, um, there are both of these processes going on. I mean, one of the big pieces of advice we have is like for, is for New Year's resolutions, just do one, you know, do one at a time because, um, you know, all these changes that require self-control, they do deplete your willpower. So don't try to do everything at once. Start with one and then, then after you do something for a while, it be, it becomes a habit, which is, and then you're not using so much conscious effort to do it anymore. And then you can try something new. But basically, to, you know, to, to strengthen your willpower, any little act of self-control, you know, the, if you repeat it, will, you know, it will gradually over time build up your stamina. And they've done experiments where, you know, you know if someone, um, if you're right-handed and you often do a lot of things with your right hand, you open doors, you brush your teeth. If you just start doing that with your left hand, that takes a little bit of self-control. So it, it's like a little workout, and you do that, or forcing yourself uh, to speak in complete sentences or not to use contractions. You know, basically anything that requires self-control, it's like a little um, exercise. And in this sense, the Victorians, again, were right about some of this because they, um, you know, they had this whole idea of building character and they believed that, you know, these exercises people would do in deprivations and these things would um, build character. And it, it seems as if they do. And it, it, it also explains why um, there have been a lot of studies going back to the 1920s when they look at religious people and they find that religious people generally have more self-control than non-religious people. And part of this may just be, be um, a question of selection bias because in order to be in a religion it takes some self-control. You've got to go to the services, you've got to follow certain practices and so if someone has no self-discipline then you know they may not do it. But it's also, you know, almost certainly the fact that most religions have these kind of exercises, these self-control exercises. They have fasting, they have prayers, they have rituals, they have rules you have to follow. Um, and so all these are little things that build up your self-control. And, you know, children learn to, you know, the Catholics to say the rosary. You, do the, you have to control yourself in church. You have to control certain things. You have to dress a certain way. All these things require self-control, and they build up that willpower muscle. So it sounds like little things getting into a habit of doing self-control mm -hmm. and that exercises the muscle. Right. Um, I'm wondering, are there certain um, types of exercises or a class of willpower exercises that almost like a domino, you, you start doing that, it makes all the other types easier. You know, should you start with the thing that is most difficult for you to, to, to resist or should you start with something little that you can really control? Or if you were to design sort of these first sort of 
lists of things to tackle, what are the, the ones that you could start with that would make the other ones easier? Um, well, as far as a really little exercise, I mean, just to do these, I mean, it's basically the equivalent of doing push-ups or, you know, running laps or something. Mm -hmm. It's just doing these little things where any little change in your routine, as I was saying, you know, speaking in complete, you know, that's pure kind of exercise for the sake of exercise. Just little things to, you know, to, uh, to get used to um, exerting self-control. As far as actually making changes in your life, I, I would say the main thing is... Um, maybe don't start with the biggest things first um, but start with one thing at a time try and make one change if you're gonna um, you know um, if you decided that you want to exercise you know schedule some exercise and and, and do that and try to make yourself do that um, I, the two basic steps in self-control I mean I mean building up your willpower is really important the two basic steps in 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 in, in self-control are for, are to set a goal to set a clear and a realistic goal and then to monitor your progress toward it you know monitoring your progress toward it is really just as important as setting the goal itself um, because you know that's how you it, it gives you an incentive to, to you know a, a, to stay on target and and it gives you a sense of progress so that even when you falter um, if you, uh, you still can look back and see that you've been tracking your progress mm -hmm. so if you want to control your spending you know keep track of you know keep track of it you know Thomas Jefferson used to write down every single thing he purchased now, <laughs> now he was he was a weird case because he he was kind of obsessive compulsive about writing down on July 4th 1776 the day the Declaration of Independence had been adopted he's writing down that he bought a thermometer at, at Sparhawk shop in Philadelphia for three pounds fifteen shillings, and he's doing that. He was he, he was very compulsive. He didn't. His big mistake was he didn't really stop and put it together very well because he eventually went broke because he was always spending more than he. He was writing everything down without really taking in perspective his income versus his expenses. But the same way, if you want to lose weight, get on a scale every day. You know that's one of the few clinically proven ways to lose weight just seeing that every day so those are the two you know basic steps in self-control and then and and the more you can set goals and meet it and you may want to start with little goals and then build up as you do that it builds up willpower things become habitual and um, and then and then it gets easier because you're not exerting you know conscious effort awesome I'd love to sort of, it sounds like those are two steps. If you were to codify the other aspects and the, the certain distinct things that people should do mm -hmm. to develop their willpower and sort of execute it, okay. execute on it, what would those different things be? Okay, well, um, well here's a list of, uh, you know, of strategies. Um, you, you, one of the first things is to know your limits. You know, and that is, is to recognize that, that every little... Um, act of self-control is depleting your willpower, and so you know realize that and watch for symptoms that your low that your willpower is low. Now, there's no one telltale symptom. It's not like getting winded. It's not like hitting the wall in a marathon. What happens is that that everything starts to affect you more strongly because you can't regulate your emotions uh, as well. So, because your energy's gone, right, it's gone right. to all these different things. Right. So it sounds like what might be effective is, you know, 
if I'm like, gosh, I keep on resisting this cookie and it's really strenuous every yeah. single day. Maybe I should just give in to that and I'll, I'll, I'll deal with that later. Right. And instead, I, I it took so much energy for me that strategically, it's not worth really thinking about. I should just let that be so that I have energy to tackle all the other little things and then maybe I can come back to it later. Right. Well, no, no, that's a, um, that, that's really one strategy. And another one that I'll get to in a minute yeah. but is, is to not have the cookie there in the first place. But, um, and... Um, so, you know, once your willpower is low, you know, make allowances for it, and you know, and uh, um, and remember, you know, that everything depletes it, and and so, you know, don't you know, don't schedule back-to-back classes or back-to-back meetings all day long. Well, when I turned in my article um, on decision fatigue, which is drawn from our book Willpower, uh, to the New York Times Magazine, you know, the editors read it and they promptly resolved not to have any more meetings after three o'clock in the afternoon because they realized they were just depleted by then and it wasn't a good time uh, to make decisions. Um, so, you know, they recognize our limits, which is one of the first strategies. Then, you know, we've been talking about basically building up your willpower by doing these exercises, by, you know, by starting slow. Now, another there's, you know, besides this kind of long-term doing strengthening exercises, there's also a very quick and easy way strengthen your willpower which is eat um, because and they have found you know Roy Baumeister's found in his lab that simply giving someone a glass of lemonade will give them a, a temporary boost in willpower but the lemonade it has to contain sugar I mean it doesn't work if the lemonade contains a non-calorie sweetener like Splenda because what the sugar provides is glucose and glucose is that's what fuels the brain store of willpower. And now, recent, now I, I'm not recommending you just go out and gorge on sugar. Researchers use that because it's a very, it has a very quick effect in the lab. It's a very quick up and down, and you can see it and get a very quick response. But you know, um, in your own life, you're better off. All foods, you know, contain glucose, and so um, basically, you're. Um, are you better off eating foods that uh, that release it more slowly during the day, and and, and therefore you know, keep you more sustained? Um, but it but it's remarkable what happens when you know when people are low on glucose. There was um, a fascinating study of these um, judges in Israel where they were on a parole board, and prisoners would come up before them, and they would ask to be paroled. And some psychologists studied the pattern, and they and they found that. The prisoners who came up first thing in the morning had a decent chance of getting parole, but the 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 chances declined by the end of the day. You like had no chance of getting parole because making a decision to release someone takes a lot of effort. That's that decision for you know that's a decision to make, and it's easier to just leave the status quo. It doesn't require any energy. We'll just leave him where he is. And so by the end of the day, the judges were depleted, and and so they you know basically just would not make that decision. But they also noticed that during the day, although the, the prisoners' chances declined pretty steadily during the day, but there were a couple exceptions, a couple times when suddenly there was a brief resurgence, and that was right after the mid-morning snack break and right after lunch, because the judges would get this glucose, they would eat something, they would have more willpower, they were then right away, you know, after that they would, they would be more inclined to give a prisoner parole. So that's what, you know, that, that kind of process happens so so you know don't make 
big decisions on an empty stomach. Um, the, you know, um, and, and and be careful about big decisions late in the day. Period. I think that you know that's when people do get into trouble. I think. So, um, now, I talked about setting goals, and um, one thing that most of us do in setting goals is virtually all of us suffer from what's called the planning fallacy. We all underestimate how long jobs will take. <clears throat> in, in, you know, in studies, they found that a project will typically take twice as long as people predict it will, and often, you know, often longer. Many people make up, you know, their to-do list for the week that contains more stuff than they could possibly get done in the month. So, um, and, and and what happens is you just get overwhelmed by it and you can't get anything done. So it's important to, um, in the book Willpower, we tell the story of, of um, Aaron Patzer, who founded Mint.com, um, and, uh, you know, which is, is the financial software used by millions of people now. And, you know, from his earliest days as a startup, he would have his managers at the weekly meeting, he would have each one of them list their goals for the week. And they would have to list them in order. They could have one goal, you know, one was plenty, or they could have two or three, but no more than three. And the rule was that they couldn't start on the second goal until they had finished the first goal. So that was really how he was trying to get them to just focus on one thing at a time. You know, so set a realistic goal and then um, as I said, you know, keep, you know, keep track of that goal. Keep, you know, monitor your progress toward it. Then, now, you know, even when you set goals that are really, you know, I mean, I mean, just one goal for the week. Say, if you do that, um, even when you do that, there's of course lots of little steps you have to take to get there. And there's another uh, a technique that you can do to make those steps. A workable to actually make a to-do list that is actually doable, and that is is in this and the idea behind this stems from something called the Zagarnik effect, which is named after a, uh, a psychology student at the University of Berlin named Bluma Zagarnik, and she she and some colleagues uh, went out to lunch one day and the waiter came and he took all their orders, a big group, he, he took all their orders without writing anything down and then he delivered everyone's plate perfectly and they were really impressed. So after lunch they left and and somebody forgotten something and went back and and saw the waiter and kind of looked at him for help expecting he would, and the guy, the waiter just looked back at him blankly, had no idea who he was. And the, you know, and then the waiter explained that once he delivered in order, he just, he completely forgot, you know, it just vanished from his memory. And the psychologist started wondering, is there a big distinction that the brain makes between finished and unfinished tasks? And they went back to the lab and they found that yes, there is a, a big difference and that if a task is unfinished, it, it sits in a special place in, in, in the memory and your unconscious will keep nagging you to finish that task. And in one example of this are the, are the earwigs you get when you turn off a song on the radio in the middle of the song. That song can sometimes keep playing through your head all day long because it's an unfinished task that's nagging at you. And the, you know, the easiest way to get rid of, uh, and, uh, to stop this from draining your mental energy is to do the task, but you can't do everything at once. Uh, so, uh, Ray and his lab, you know, they did some experiments and they found, uh, they brought in some students who had an exam. 
uh, upcoming, and they were worried about the exam. And, the, and they had them read some pages of a novel that had nothing to do with the exam. And just as predicted, they kept getting distracted by the thoughts of the exam, and, and, and it distracted them from concentrating on the novel. Then some other students came in who also had an exam, but before they read the novel, they were asked to make a plan for the exam. And they, you know, like, uh, mark some time on their calendar, go to the library Sunday afternoon at 1 o'clock and study for the exam for three hours. And then when they read the novel, they were able to concentrate on it, and they scored much higher on a comprehension test afterwards. So what this showed was that just making a plan helps clear your mind and lets you focus on the task at hand. So... When you make up a to-do, you know, so that's why when you have something, it's good to just make a plan to deal with it, you know, you keep a to-do list. And when you do that to-do list, it's important to, to put down things that you know how to do. I mean, putting something down like, you know, find an apartment, that doesn't really clear your mind because you don't really know how to find, I mean, that's just a vague thing. You know, it has to be very specific, like look in Craigslist at listings for apartments or call Jennifer to ask for advice on apartments or get Jennifer's, the name of Jennifer's realtor. So it's like the practical next step. Right. It's, and, you know, David Allen calls it the next action. And David Allen is, is the author of Getting Things Done, GTD, um, which is the one self-help book I recommend, you know, besides my own. Um, it's, it's a great system, I think. And it really does, you know, and it's a way of dealing with that Zagarnik effect because, you know, it's, his idea is, is getting to zero in your inbox. Don't have stuff piled up on your inbox, sapping your energy. You know, either deal with it or make a plan to deal with it, but don't let it just sit there. Because it, it's, it's, it's tugging at you. Right, <laughs> exactly. Throughout. It's draining your energy. What would you say to students who, and I find this with a lot of my peers, people are wondering, what am I going to do the next five years of my life, the next ten years of my life? There's all these kind of existential questions and, you know, to some degree, practically, we'd like to put closure on all the little tasks we have. But there's always these lingering questions. And I think for a lot of people, that can sap their willpower. How would you consider sort of getting closure in that or making a plan? Um, well, the, you know, they're, they're different. There have been different studies about the, does long-range planning work better than... I mean, I mean, you obviously need to set long-term goals, you, and you need to have some idea of what you want to do. I mean, you may not know when you're 18. You can go to college and try and mm -hmm. figure out, but, it's, but, but you, do, uh, you do want to have some long-term goals in mind, and then you, then you need to have short-term. There have been experiments looking at where they... You know, they've done watching students during a semester, for instance, if, if they have daily goals they have to do, like in... Uh, um, and if they have to do a certain number of math problems a day or if they have to do it for over the course of a month. And the, the findings have been somewhat contradictory. It depends, I think, you know, how old the students are. And, you know, the advantage of daily goals is it's very specific. You have to do this. And, um, and, and so it keeps you on pace. You, can, you can't let everything build up toward the end of the month. The disadvantage of it, though, they found in some studies is that if you miss, you know, a few days you then feel like, God, I'm so far behind. Whereas if you have weekly goals or monthly goals, if you miss a couple of days at the start of the week, you figure you can make it up later in the week. So it depends on, you know, I hate to be vague on it, but it depends on the task. But, but I think, you know, and I mean, David Allen is getting things done, has these, you know, like a weekly review of your stuff, and then you should have 
longer term plans that you that uh, that you check you know less frequently, but you think about your long term stuff, and or maybe in, in, you know that in the weekly review you look at um, things that you know that you've got for he, he has ideas like a someday file. You know, you put stuff in this that someday I'll get to this, and 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 the commitment you make is I will look at the someday file again. I may end up throwing the stuff out, but at least it's there. It's not. I mean, it's not bothering me right now. I know that just knowing that it's that that it's in a file you'll get to someday. You know that it's there. It hasn't been lost. You can't deal with it right now, but it's there. And if you have a plan, I'll look at that at a certain point. You know, you can put it in your in your calendar to look at. You know, this thing. I mean, or just put it on the calendar to do this someday in the future. So, so it seems like for tactics we have know your limits and just be aware of how yeah. your decisions are getting sucked out you know are sucking energy out of you and all the different decisions that are going on that are affecting your energy level um, we have exercises doing these small steps right that increasingly improve your willpower we have eating <laughs> and having literal body fuel to have willpower and I guess napping might yeah <laughs> napping helps too yeah sleeping does you know does help revive your willpower I mean not having enough sleep makes it will, it will deplete yeah. you no question and so it, it sounds like it's you know tied not only to you know your ego but also your mind and your energy and then it seems like goal goal setting is kind of a tactic by which you can kind of get closure on all the different loose ends so that they're not subconsciously tugging at right you. right setting realistic goals and, and then and and, and and then breaking them down into these steps that you know what the next mm -hmm. thing to do is and making plans to deal with them then as I said keeping track as you go toward that goal it's really important yeah. to monitor and you know that can be tedious but uh, you know great thing now is is um, there are all these apps and, and, and software to do this and you know, there's a, there's a nice website called the quantified self that has apps that will keep track of how much time you spend on a website, how much time you spend writing, how much time you spend doing other things, and you know there are things that will keep track of how many how many calories you burn, how many steps you take, um, and these things all help you know measure you how much sleep you're getting, so you can see these things and can keep track of how well you're doing um, in meeting your goals. I'd love to dive deeper into the apps. You know, which ones do you suggest? Why and how should one go about using them? And how how can you know, there's been so many technology things that I've used and been like, this is going to change my life. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. it kind of gets distracted. What, what's sort of the nuance of these apps and why they're valuable and, and how to use them? And some good examples. Um, let's see. The um, Well, there's, of course, a lot of them. I mean, I use this Body Media Fit one. You know, there are a lot of ones, Fitbit and these things that just track, you know, how much exercise you get. And um, and, and it gives you some incentive when it's just, you know, the, the knowing that, uh, that you look at your numbers for how much you're sleeping, um, how many steps you're taking per day? There's, you know, there's all these different fitness trackers you can use for that, and that's good for the physical stuff. For getting you to focus um, on your work and not get too distracted, there are apps that will cut you off from the internet for in a certain period of day. I think Freedom is one. Um, Stay Focused is another one, um, and you know there are various apps that will just lock you off the internet for that period. There, there's an app that I've used called Rescue Time. That, that monitors your time at various websites. And you can see how much time I spent, and, and, and it actually varies tasks on the computer. You can see I spent this much time you know, in Microsoft Word today, and I spent this much time in Google Chrome. And you, know, and, and you can code the activities to like, it's 
you know, the, the time I spend in Word is good time for me. I'm a writer. So the time I'm spending in Chrome is often, you know, and then certain websites. If I'm looking at ESPN, you know, um, that's not productive. I mean, it's fine to do that occasionally, but that's not great productive time. So um, those apps are good for that. There are various apps that, uh, I mean, um, you can, uh, that, that Facebook and things do as far as using external forms of, of self-control. Um, uh, one of the simplest techniques, I think, and, and you can have an app do this, but also um, um, in Willpower, uh, we recommend this technique called the nothing alternative, which, and this is based on um, a strategy that, that was used by Raymond Chandler, the detective uh, novelist and, and screenwriter. And he turned out masterpieces like The Big Sleep by going into an office every day for like four hours. And he would follow two simple rules. A, you don't have to write. B, you can't do anything else. Basically just sit there. And I try to do this every day where I, I the first 90 minutes of the, of the work day, I, I, I start to stopwatch app on my tablet. And for the 90 minutes, that, that's all I can do is write. I can't do email, I can't answer phone, I can't surf the web. And I think that, you know, that there's so many distractions we have today that if you can just set aside a certain amount of time where you do nothing but one project, because uh, otherwise you could spend all day being, you know, continually distracted. So I think that's, that's one way. And all this stuff, in talking about these ways of building willpower and setting goals, and the, um, and certainly, you know, building willpower is important, but the most important strategy of all, um, it was demonstrated in an experiment that, that, that really didn't turn out the way the researchers expected it to. They were tracking people throughout the day, and they, they found really interesting things when, when they tracked people during the day. They found that a person typically spends between three and four hours a day resisting desires. You know, you, there's constant desires you have to, you know, to eat, to goof off, to, uh, to lose your temper, to um, go to sleep, to do lots of things. And people are always resisting these desires. And, and they tracked how often this happened to people. And they also knew that some of the, they, they were able to distinguish between people that had pretty good self-control, that were exceptionally disciplined, and people who weren't. And, when, and they tracked them all day long, thinking they would see that the really disciplined people were in, built up to strong willpower and were frequently using it during the day to stay focused. But when they looked at, at the results, they found that these really disciplined people actually didn't use willpower that much, that they that they weren't resisting as many desires as the other people. And they were, the researchers were puzzled for a while, but then they realized these people structured their lives to, to eliminate temptations ah. and decisions. And that's really the most important strategy of all, I think, which is to conserve your willpower. That, you know, don't go to all-you-can-eat buffets because it's just a constant temptation. You know, the, the people that... That they use this conservation technique, they you know they would not keep a bowl of candy on their desk. And when you asked earlier about um, this cookie that's sitting there tempting you. I mean, th there's a certain point as you say, just giving in and not agonizing all day. But it's even better not to have a cookie there to begin with. You know, not to have a gallon of ice cream in your freezer. That the more you can avoid these things, and and the really good self-disciplined people. They can, you know, they recognize that their willpower is limited, and they try to conserve it for emergencies and big decisions. Um, and after we did our book, and, and especially the part about decision fatigue, how the more decisions you make, it wears you out. 
people started um, um, taking a lesson from this. And, you know, in fact, two very different chief executives, uh, Barack Obama and Mark Zuckerberg, both independently. I was intrigued to see this. You know, they read uh, about decision fatigue that we wrote about, and they both decided to stop. You know, to try to eliminate little decisions from their workday. And they both resolved, you know, to just wear the same thing to work every day. Not uh, Mark Zuckerberg would wear this gray T-shirt and a black hoodie every day, and Barack Obama would always wear a dark business suit. And Barack Obama also he stopped making decisions about what to to have for meals. He left that to the chef, the White House chef, or to Michelle. Uh, he just wanted, you know, he once you realize that every little decision drains you, then try not to make as many decisions. Um, now, most of us don't have a staff like he was basically outsourcing self-control. And, but all of us can do that in a way. I mean, for instance, you know, instead of um, deciding every morning whether you're going to work out, schedule workouts with a friend so it's not really a choice. You have to do it and you're not making a decision. You just, you have to. And, you know, psychologists and, and behavioral economists call this pre-commitment. You know, when you, and the classic example is Ulysses being tied to the mass. So, you know, when they... What's that story? Well, in, in the Odyssey, when, when um, uh, the sirens are these, sing this beautiful song that sailors can't resist and they go into these, and, 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 they're, and they're lost because they, they can't resist listening to the siren song. And so, and so Ulysses had his men put wax in their ears so they couldn't hear the sirens. But he did want to hear them, but he had himself last to the mass. So he heard them, but he couldn't do anything about it. He couldn't steer his ship toward them. And, and, uh, and so that's the classic example of pre-commitment, that you just set it in, in such a way that you can't do it. Pre-commitment, I think it's also, in a way, almost scaling your willpower. I yeah. used to do a lot of work. I started a healthy food cart in Michigan mm -hmm. and was talking to a lot of people around health and how do you mm -hmm. help people become more healthy. And like you mentioned, a lot of people do have a lot of these choices for mm -hmm. the cookie, take it or not. Right. They said that the most effective way to change your diet mm -hmm. is to only buy healthy food. So mm -hmm. when you go to the supermarket, you're only buying things that are healthy so that when you're home and you get hungry, you literally can only eat healthy things. So, yeah. so there's no temptation. And it's funny thinking about, you know, growing your willpower. It's almost as if, you know, you are strategically using your willpower in the grocery store to not buy things. And that's a pretty easy task of, okay, I'm, I'm not going to pull the cookies from the shelf. I'm not going to pull the Doritos, yeah. the Pringles. Right. And instead, you know, you make that one decision and then for the next two weeks, you have no cookie problems. Exactly. And so it's like scaling your willpower. What are some other good examples you've seen of decisions and ways that people can kind of structure their life and design their life for willpower? What's, what are the things that they can do in their house, on their phone, with friends? You know, maybe, maybe it is just kind of looking at every single, <laughs> analyzing every single little thing you do in your life and, and asking how can I use willpower to or eliminate something you know what are, what are some good examples of well may, you know making public commitments um, and, and there's a um, um, you making bets with people that you're you know going to stop smoking or you're going to lose 10 pounds and and, and you make this publicly and, and um, there's a website called stick.com s-t-i-c-k-k.com 
where you can make a bet with someone else, uh, say that you're going to lose a certain amount of weight by a certain date, or you're going to stop smoking, or you're going to, you know, do whatever you um, would like to do. And there's someone who's appointed basically a referee or a, a judge or something for the bet. And so, uh, and this referee then will actually make sure that the bet is paid off so you know because often if your friend bets you that you're going to stop smoking the friend doesn't really want to collect because you feel bad that you you know that you did it anyway but you know having the referee means that it, it actually gets done so you know that you're going to have to do that and just losing money knowing that you're going to do that and 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 to the extent it's public people who do these who, who do stuff on facebook and announce what they're doing and monitor their progress and post it um, you know, in fact, one of the guys I think who was involved, one of the economists with Stick.com, he had software that would send his department chairman, I think, a record of which websites it went, how much time he spent visiting sports websites. I think. So you know, like you basically, you, you have this thing: send your boss um, a um, how much time you're spending goofing off. Now that's a real incentive not to spend a lot of time there. I haven't gone that far, but just you know, just anything that's keeping track of what you're doing and letting people know is a way uh, to you know give you the incentive and, and to rely on external self-control. In the book, for instance, we have a chapter about you know drugs and alcohol, and nobody really it, it, it's hard to gauge how you know, how well um, Alcoholics Anonymous works. But it seems you know the the best studies that have been done suggest that it works at least as well as you know professional counseling. And one of the ways is just that social control, that you know that peer pressure that you have, that that, that basically helps you. You know you're outsourcing self control to others. And you know I mean we evolved um, with all these external forms of control. You know having our neighbors you know and 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 and, and social. Um, stigma and social social pressures, and that's another way to basically try to bind yourself in. That's a kind of a form of pre-commitment when other people know uh, what your goal is, and you feel that that pressure to do it. That's a, that's another form of pre-commitment. That's awesome. So there are all these different strategies. I can imagine something that might be difficult for people, and I know definitely for me is sometimes when you don't you try to commit to something, you don't do it, and it keeps on feeling like you're messing up. You can really kind of get hard on yourself and be like, oh, shoot, I messed up. And that can mm. almost <laughs> deplete you of even more energy. Is there any sort of um, things that you found in terms of self-dialogue and self-talk and this sort of attitude towards willpower that can kind of shape you and, and keep you on track when the difficulties arise? Um, one thing, um, I talked about keeping track of things, and one of the advantages, I, I mean, what I make myself do is, is write down every day how many words I, I've written, and there are days when it's zero or it's negative, you know, I ended up cutting things, and, that, and those days are really discouraging, but one of the advantages of keeping track is th that I can look back over the last month and see that, yeah, I had a couple bad days, but I'm still, I got, you know, this many thousand words done. So being able to look back over a long period and see that even though you had this setback, you still made progress. That helps, I think. Um, you know, for, you know, these, like, I've got a scale that I get on that, and it automatically sends the, uh, the reading to you know to my to my computer um, and so I can see that so you know when I've gained weight it's bad but if I can see that over the long haul you know I'm doing 
you know, better than I was a year ago, then that's encouraging. So I think that's one thing to put things in perspective. Um, it's also important, you know, give yourself rewards when you, you know, do something well. I mean, if you stop smoking, spend some of that money for, you know, treat yourself to it. Um, it's important to, you know, to give yourself the incentive to do it. Um, penalties are good too, <laughs> but uh, rewards are more fun. So. <laughs> <laughs> Understandable. So let's say that you had a one day super intensive workshop with students. You hadn't read your book mm-hmm. and by the end of it, it was almost like a really intense boot camp of experience where mm-hmm. by the end of it, maybe it's a day, maybe it's a weekend, they're like, okay, I understand and embody these principles. You know, in, in the computer science world, there are these things called hackathons, which basically yeah. students or anybody yeah. comes together and really intensely grinds out on a project mm-hmm. um, and has like super attention to it. So what sort of experiences are effective in teaching students about willpower and helping them really adopt these practices? How would you design this day? Boy, that's an interesting question. I haven't thought about how to do that. So um, maybe I should get the hackathon participants to suggest how to do that. Um, I suppose you could have people start off by saying, here's a goal, and think exactly how I'm going to do that, make very specific plans for how to do it, and start doing some of that right away. Um, you could you know, have them design some exercises to strengthen willpower, um, to break down things to, you know, things to clear their inboxes. I mean, one of the first things that, that you know, David Allen for getting things done is one of those first things is just you got to clear that inbox. You know, you got to do something with all those emails sitting in your inbox if you have all a ton of them or if your desk is filled. You just got to clear that off. Um, I mean, what he would do is, you know, he had people in, 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 in the Willpower book, we talk about Drew Carey, who hired him to come. And he would go to Drew Carey's like once a month. And they would just... Hired David Allen? Yeah, he hired David Allen to go there and just... They would go through, you know, he would just sit there. David Allen does this when people hire him. And he'll go there and he just sits through and all the stuff on their desk, everything they have, he goes through and says, what do we do with this? Do we throw it out? Do we do it now? Do we do this? And, you know, he said it's so hard for people that they'll, you know, some of them will, like, run to the bathroom and be hiding in the bathroom. They just don't want to deal with it. But Drew Carrington, when they actually got through that and actually got to the, you know, zero inbox, that it was like, he felt he'd been meditating in the desert for a week, you know, that he felt so cleansed and so. That would be another strategy. Um, I don't, I'm trying to what you do about willpower to, um, in one day, because it's a, it's a gradual process, but I, I guess it would be setting up a system of setting goals and monitoring progress. Maybe it'd be a month long. Yeah, right. Sort of thing. Yeah, to do that and, and have some exercises along the way and really, um, I mean, in the experiments I've done, you know, they've had students set a specific goal, like, um, like not like you know, getting better study habits, or controlling their spending, or getting healthier, losing weight, and have them do a very specific thing, and then coach them about here are ways you do this, and here's how you here's how you set the goal, here's how you monitor it, and then if you have a group, with that exerts some social pressure on everyone that you have to do it. I mean, like the way AA, you come in and say, how many days have you been sober? You start with that. So you've got that group that's exerting that pressure on you. So 
So it sounds like combining all your strategies, you'd start with something small and mm -hmm. attainable because yeah. that gets the, the muscles starting to mm -hmm. exercise. You'd know your limits, just maybe design and have students understand where, where their energy is being sucked with mm -hmm. this one problem mm -hmm. and kind of design their life around it so it becomes so much easier. You'd make sure that they ate and had glucose. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you'd set really good goals and monitor it. Um, maybe set aside some time where there's no distractions um, and kind of start with something simple there and, and track it. That makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. I mean, this has been an incredibly helpful conversation. And, you know, I, I guess my last question for you, you mentioned before you were looking through so much self-help in the beginning. Is this book, did it become what you hoped it would be and what sort of influence do you hope it has on people? Um, well, it was a bestseller. It's been translated in, it was a New York Times bestseller. It's been translated into 20 languages. Um, so it's kind of fun. I've got on the shelf here, I've got, you know, the Estonian edition and all these. So it's fun to see that. Um, and, and, I, and I've had, you know, it's been really gratifying people that come up and say this really changed my life. And I, you know, I, I one guy who just who bought copies for all his clients at Christmas because he, he found that he, he read the book and he started doing little exercises and he st found that if he made himself floss, there was like this magical breakthrough. <laughs> he said that he'd lost weight and all this. He found if he started doing with the flossing that you, it was like the little act of self-discipline that it would, he felt he was in control of things and it started building from there and he'd done all these things and he was making more time for his family. I mean, it takes a lot of self-control to actually make time for, to have fun too. You know, you really need to schedule that It's and, and, and and say, I'm going to, you know, there's going to be time for my family, I'll do that. And he was doing all this. And I never quite understood how the flossing did it, but it was like some magical thing that happened to him. And I get really nice letters, people say that, that it has, you know, it's just, I feel more in control of my time. I feel freer. I feel, you know, that I can just give more to my family. And, and really one of the nicest things about self-control and, and where I bomb my, my co-author and willpower, you know, one of the most heartening findings he, he they did is that people who have strong willpower um, use it to help other people. They, you know, they actually, they donate more to charity. They do more volunteer work. You know, they help their neighbors because they have the strength to, to, to control themselves and they use that to help other people. So, which is really, I, you know, that's why I think you know, willpower is the most important. Self-control is the most important human virtue. And um, it's just essential to any kind of success. And I hope that our book is, you know, is helping some people to get more self-control. Will definitely help me. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna, right after this. I'm gonna get go to my notepad and, and draw up some plans. But I, I really appreciate it, John. And it's so nice of you to share all your wisdom with us. Well, thank you. And uh, you, you know, hopefully, hopefully we can pull up a course okay. <laughs> around this too. So, awesome. okay. Thanks. Well, thanks very much. This podcast is and always will be ad free, but we rely on listeners like you to show us the love and subscribe helps others find the show so please write us a review on the app store by going to make.sc slash podcast review you can also go to make.sc slash podcast to see the show notes and we invite you to leave comments join in on the discussion and tell us what you think of the episode our next episode is on self-experimentation with aj jacobs this is one of the most hilarious episodes we've done and I think you'll have a lot of insights into how you can test things out in your life in order to improve it.